the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart on this very special day. Last time we were together, we started out with the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but due to our time constraints, we're not able to complete it. We'll do so here today. If you miss any portion of this broadcast or have missed any portion, you can go to reachingyourheart.com, look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page, and then scroll down till you'll find today's date. You'll see this message available for download or to listen online in on-demand audio format. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here is Pastor Mike. You see, it's no accident that the devil throws trouble in your life. As soon as you become a representative of Jesus Christ, you have a big bullseye target sitting on your back. That's a fact. The Christian is not compatible with the world. The Christian is in the world, but the Christian is not of the world. Here is the reason God allows the beast to make war on you. Philippians 1.29. Take your Bibles. Turn there with me. Amazing verse here. Paul writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And that's an amazing passage. The Christian suffers for what reason here? The Christian suffers for the sake of Jesus Christ as a gift. I remember my father when he was dying, he quoted this passage and another from my favorite theologian saying, there has been no greater privilege given to me than to share in the sufferings of Christ. And whatever I'm going through, it's okay because Christ suffered it in advance. Friend, if you're having a hard time in life, if you're standing for God and the kitchen sink is being thrown at you, Praise God for you because God has given you the chance to stand as a witness for Jesus Christ. I mean, people went to the flames in the Middle Ages in the early Christian church. They died worshiping God as the heat of the fire overtook their life because they were thankful that they could share a little bit in the sufferings that were infinite within the body of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Philippians 3.10, that I might know Him, Paul says, and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. That was the attitude that gave us the witness of the apostolic era and the Christian church in the Middle Ages when they overcame the dragon by the word of their testimony. I mean, we live in a day where Christians are asking what they can get out of the Christian church instead of what they can give back to Christ who died for them. The attitude is wrong, the perspective faulty. The Christian, in the great sense of it, doesn't suffer outside of Christ. The Christian suffers in Christ, for Christ, because Christ has suffered for him. Because he or she has that big bullseye on the back, the Christian suffering is not an independent pain vigil that has no connection to reality, no purpose. It has meaning. Paul says, I desire to share in Christ's suffering. What's evident here is that Jesus has suffered. Jesus was the supreme sufferer for our sins. No human being has suffered more than Jesus and will suffer more than Jesus. Christ was persecuted for the truth's sake. The world couldn't endure Jesus' presence without just doing away with Him. 
From the time Christ became a public figure, Jesus was only on the world stage for three and a half years. And then he was snuffed out. The world couldn't handle him. And the world had had enough of him. In two verses, Jesus describes the animosity toward him that never relented in the world. John 7, 7. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Friend, Christ Jesus came for testimony. He came to bear witness to the truth. And the truth about God is incompatible with the lie that is the stuff of this world. Jesus called men and women to radical obedience to God, not to something in between. He called them to say no to the world when God's law and God's word directs the Christian on a different kind of path. That's not popular Christian theology today, but that's Christ theology. Christ said the world hates me because I speak the truth to the world and about the world. You know, it's so much easier to preach to people and tell them what they want to hear than to say what they need to hear. It's easy. I have been at different places in my ministry where it was tempting to do that. Where there have been forces that wanted me to do that. But there is a fire in my bones that comes from the Word of God. And I will not preach to people what they want to hear. I will preach what God's Word declares. Because I do not want to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and see people swept into eternity because we did not speak the truth in this place. It wouldn't take any effort to adapt the message so it's popular rather than to declare the message because it's God's Word. And the day that cannot be done here is the day I don't want to be here. And I'm grateful that here is a place where that can happen. I preach the Sabbath, friend, as a Christian pastor because it's in the Bible and it's the Word of God with no apologies. I don't need to be a pastor of a mega church if that church isn't obeying Christ, if it really isn't His church in conformity to the Word of God. I pastored a mega church once, and one day the leader of that conference set me down and told me that I didn't have any business preaching the mark of the beast and the prophecies in the pulpit of that mega church. I respectfully reminded him that Jesus is the one who is in charge of the church and that we don't throw the Bible away to be popular in church. He didn't buy it and I didn't obey him because my charter, my ordination did not come from men. It came from God because no man or woman has a right to prevent men and women in the world from hearing the truth that is for this time. I lost my job weeks after that visit and I don't miss that job at all. I'd rather be unemployed and proclaiming the word of God than employed and lying to the congregation on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, Jesus says, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, this is stout language coming from Jesus. This is very clear here. We don't have to guess at what he means. The world hates you because it hates Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the world hates you because of your connection to Jesus. I know this person who works and makes a practice to say something every now and then about Jesus in her employment. And, you know, you can talk about any and everybody today. You can talk about Confucius. You can talk about a philosopher. You can talk about an atheist. As soon as you mention Jesus, it's violating the separation of church and state. That's silliness. Christ is one of the great people of history. He should at least be allowed to be a component in our discussion without shutting it down. And the pressure was applied on her and her work situation to say nothing about the Lord Jesus. 
You know, the world kingdom system is incompatible with Jesus Christ. So what does the Christian do in a world that hates Christ? The Christian bears witness to Christ. The true Christian stands for Jesus, no matter what the world has to say. Now, here's the paradox. When the world persecutes you for following Jesus, it thinks it is doing the very work of God that you need. In other words, the world persecutes on the false platform of a fake moral high ground that is a lie. The world has no problem coming up with an idea that sounds spiritual so it can persecute those who are really following God's word. John 16, 2. Jesus says they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. Revelation 13, 5. The beast has no trouble speaking out against God's truth. Well, I'll let you know it's a lot cooler in here than where the worshipers of the beast are going. Revelation 13, 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name, His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Friend, God's name and God's law are the same thing in the Bible. The world hates God's name because it hates His law. Jesus came to share the name of God with the world. John 17, 6, He's very clear, I have manifested Thy name to the men whom Thou hast given Me out of the world. Thine they were. Thou gavest them to me. And what does it mean? He tells us the next phrase. They have kept thy word. So God's name and his word are linked. You can't separate them. More specifically, God's name and God's law are the same thing. Psalms 119.55 I remember thy name in the night, O Lord, and keep thy law. So when he blasphemes God's name, he's attacking the law of God. I've heard Christians do this. They'll get in their pulpits and they'll say God's law was nailed to the cross misinterpreting Colossians 2. Not having a clue what that passage is saying. What was nailed to the cross was human tradition in that passage. What was nailed to the cross was everything that was against us. The Bible says in Colossians 2, the Sabbath is for us in the same passage. So they don't even read a verse in its context. They go for something that will justify them in their lawless attitudes toward God. And so we have rebellion in the Christian church today. The beast makes war on God's people because they keep His law, because Jesus died for them, and they value the character of God that brought Jesus to the cross of Calvary to ratify the law of God, the everlasting covenant, with His name and love in red in the blood of Christ at the cross of Calvary. So they belong to a different kind of kingdom than the world because they value heaven's principles. I have found... That when a man or woman chooses to keep the seventh day Sabbath, and that's Saturday, that's Saturday, everyone comes out of the woodwork to provide opportunities to break it. I mean, it's just a fact. The world kingdom system doesn't care about God's law because it really doesn't care about Jesus, who came for testimony to bear witness to the truth. Friend, Jesus looked down the timeline to the end of time for you, for you. And Jesus knew that you would need, that you would deeply need an experience with Him to keep Him close to you. And so He gave the Sabbath till the end of time to keep you in Christ. He knew that His people would need to fellowship with Him on His holy day, the Lord's day. And Jesus knew that the world would persecute His people for the same reason it persecuted Him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. And He did the same thing in John 9. And it made the religious leaders mad. Why? Why? Because Christ brought love to the Sabbath day. 
He made it for love. The religious leaders accused Jesus of treason. And they finally found a way to crucify him because Jesus sought out a man to make his body whole on the Sabbath day. When a man or woman comes to church on the Lord's Day, which is Saturday, Christ does the same thing. He takes the word of God and the gospel and he heals people on that day. The Sabbath was made for man, and Jesus is the Son of Man. But more than that, Jesus came to heal the human race as the Son of Man on the Sabbath day. After the fall, Jesus has set the Sabbath day aside to heal his people from sin. It is the Lord's day for the redemption of the human race. Pope Francis made the announcement that the whole world needs to keep Sunday. Have you noticed that? Are you watching the news? Made international news. And we're not in tune as we ought to be with the events as they're moving to end time fulfillment. This statement was made. A work-free Sunday, with the exception of necessary services, says that our priority is not to economics, but the human being, gratuity, non-commercial relations, rather family and friends. For believers, it means a relationship with God and with the community. So notice here the corporate nature of his language, not just the individual admonition. He goes on to say, perhaps it is time to ask whether it is a true freedom to work on Sundays. Francis continued, this also raises the issue of working Sundays, which affects not only believers, but affects everyone as an ethical choice. So it doesn't matter what world religion you're in, Sunday is the day you need to rest, according to the leader of the church of Rome. He goes on to say, we are losing this free space. The question is, what do we want to prioritize? Very clearly... A trial balloon has been placed out there for Sunday becoming the universal day of worship for the world. At least a day of rest for family and economic purposes. He is saying that Sunday is the day of rest for the entire human race. Christian, non-Christian, atheist, it doesn't matter. We all need it. And it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It'll help the family. It'll pull our society together. Aren't we living in a fractured world today? where the threat of terrorism is asking serious questions. How do we fuse everything back together? How do we preserve Western civilization? Well, the answer is coming from the pontiff of Rome that Sunday is perhaps a key to save Western civilization. Now, there's only one problem with this theory. The Bible teaches that Saturday is the Sabbath and that Saturday is the Lord's Day. Sunday is not in the law of God. It's man's law. Mark 2.27, he said to them, Jesus speaking, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what is the Lord's day? Verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Pope of Rome has no authority to tell you what day to keep. When Protestants follow his example and allow his authority to take the place of the Word of God, they're not following Jesus Christ. Christ recognized the seventh day as the Lord's day and the Sabbath day. And I want to show you something from the book of Revelation. I've been working for a number of years on linguistic analysis of the book of Revelation and Daniel. I'd like to share a small chiasm. Now, what's a chiasm? The Bible uses chiastic structures to encode information so we get the full meaning of the text. What you don't find in the linear text is found in a linguistic chiastic relationship. Now, a chiastic relationship is simply a chiasm is a rhetorical or literary figure in which words, grammatical constructions, or concepts are repeated in reverse order, and I might add in sequence, in the same or modified form. And in a biblical chiasm, the book ends, the extreme ends meet in the middle, and that's how you know you have it. And it's very tight, and there are no gaps. 
And the Bible is an array of chiastic structures. There are big ones and then smaller ones. It's like mathematical fractals. And when they chose the books of the Bible, they could tell that this was in the Bible. And that's why they knew it was God's Word. It's one of the evidences of God's Word. Here's a simple example of a chiastic statement in a single sentence. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So the extreme ends, A and A prime. You have B and B prime in the center. And they're in order. And both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles utilize this literary technique. Now let's move to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. This is a subset chiasm at the third level in the book of Revelation. There's an overarching structure, two subsets, and then seven beneath it. This is one of the seven. I call it the Son of Man chiasm. It goes from Revelation 1.1 to 2.1. Now I'm just going to show you here. We start in Revelation 1.3. You see the word, the things written in it? All the way over to the beginning of the next chapter, you see the other side, right. We go down to the next section, B and B prime, to the seven churches in Asia, Revelation 1.4. Now we go all the way to verse 20 in sequence on the other side. The angels of the seven churches, the seven churches said twice. Moving on, C, the one who is, who was, the one who is coming from the seven spirits. And Revelation 1.4 has its match in Revelation 1.19. Which you saw, which is, which will be after these things. The mystery of the seven stars. The next one, D and D prime. The firstborn from the dead, Revelation 1.4, the other side of death and Hades, verse 18. E, the one who loves us and loosed us from our sins. E prime. On the other side, Revelation 1.18, I have the keys. So he looses us from death. F, glory to him and power. What does it say? Forever and ever, Revelation 1.6. Look at F prime, 1.18. Behold, I'm alive forever and ever. So it's moving toward a center. G and G prime. All right, here it says they have pierced him, Revelation 1.7. Of course, Christ will say on the other side, I was dead. H, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation 1.8. Revelation 1.17, moving toward the center. I am the first and the last. Okay, Revelation 1.8 says the Lord God. Revelation 1.17, upon me saying, move to the next one. G, the one who's coming, here it's called the Almighty. On the other side, Revelation 1.16. His face shines like the sun in its power. So power and might. Revelation 1.9, K, Jesus. On the other side, Revelation 1.13, the Son of Man. Revelation 1.10, in the Spirit. On the other side, Revelation 1.13, in the midst of the lampstands. Now, the next element I want to draw your attention to. You see the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10? The text says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Well, what day is that? Most Christians today will say it's the first day of the week. In the linguistic chiasm, its counterpart is Revelation 1.12, in sequence, the number 7. The chiasm has defined the Lord's Day as Saturday. God did not leave it to end-time theologians to fiddle with His Word. He chiastically encrypted the answer to that question in and in prime. Behind me, Revelation 1.10, then Revelation 1.12. Turning around, I saw, oh, a great voice as a trumpet saying, Revelation 1.10.11, the other side, Revelation 1.12, the voice which spoke with me. P, what you see, Revelation 1.10, the other side, Revelation 1.12, we're getting close to the center. I turned to see. The chiastic center is in Revelation 1.11, write in a book and send to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, our extreme bookends 
are represented in Revelation 1, 3, and 2, 1 as written and write. And then in B and B prime also, the seven churches, you'll see, both right and seven churches comes to the center of the chiasm. This is true as a biblical principle of chiastic analysis. So this is it. God did not leave it to us to guess what the Lord's day is. He just saw it. It's the seventh day. It's not the first day. The first four commandments are in play in Revelation 13 because God's name is on the line. In Revelation 13, 6, and 12, the world worships the beast. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is here violated. In number two, in Revelation 13, 15, it forces people to worship the image of the beast. The second commandment of God is violated, which says you shall not do that. In Revelation 13, 7, the inhabitants of the world accept the beast's name instead of God's name. The third commandment tells his people to not take his name in vain. The beast profanes his name in Revelation 13, 6. Number four, in Revelation 13, 17, the beast enforces the mark of the beast instead of God's sign. In the fourth commandment, God tells his people to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your manservant or your maidservant, your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The beast enforces the mark of the beast instead of God's sign, which is the Sabbath. That's what the mark of the beast is over at the end of time. Ezekiel 20, 12. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a what? What does it say? A sign. God's mark is the Sabbath. A sign of what? Look what it says. Between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctifies them. It's God's way of bringing men and women in a fast-paced world into a relationship with Jesus Christ to know Him by name as the Lord. The mark of the beast is an attack on the fourth commandment that is God's sign of His covenant name, the Lord. In Mark 2.28, Jesus said that He is the Lord of the Sabbath. How does the Sabbath point to Jesus? Friend, the Sabbath is the first time in history at the creation of the world from the foundation of the world when God gave as a gift the human race rest. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus looking to the cross, knowing the truth of the gospel, says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the Bible says in Genesis 2, 2, God finished his work which he had done. We are finished by faith before we start. If we rest in Jesus Christ, the Sabbath is a sign of the gospel. When Jesus died on Good Friday, he searched his mind for just the right words to describe the victory of the new covenant of God's grace. Christ went back to the foundation of the world when he himself had made the world, Adam and Eve and the Sabbath. And Christ remembered the promise of rest that he himself had given to the human race. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He quotes Genesis 2.2. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. He quotes the Sabbath truth of creation. Friend, Jesus made a promise at the foundation of the world that he would give rest, blessing, and peace by the gift of the seventh day. Our parents sinned, but his love was not withdrawn. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
On the cross of Calvary, Jesus kept the promise. And when he cried out, it is finished, hear me well, there was nothing left to condemn. You don't need to be condemned. Sabbath rest was sealed and signed by the blood of Jesus. Eden's door was open again. And the lamb slain from the foundation of the world held the key of death and the grave. The Sabbath matters all the way down to the end of time. Why? Because Jesus matters all the way down to the end of time. The Sabbath day is His day, the Lord's day. The chiasm says it's number seven. It was given at the foundation of the world and it points to the gospel because Jesus is the Lamb slain for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Verse 20, pray that your flight may not be in winter or what? On a Sabbath. Now he's saying this for the final generation. I mean, I don't know how these preachers can say the Sabbath's done away with. When Jesus says in verse 20, pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath, and then he gives you historical context, verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no one ever will be. He's saying for the final time of the end, keep the Sabbath. We are in end-time events. Did you hear me? We're in them. We need Jesus in full surrender. And we need to keep the Sabbath day instead of another day. We need to keep Jesus instead of some religious leader telling us what to do. Because the seventh day is the Lord's day. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. That will conclude The Lamb Slain from the Foundation of the World. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page and then scroll down till you find today's date. That's reachingyourheart.com. Please stop by the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The new address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That again is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. We hope to see you there. For Pastor Mike and everyone here also, please know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.